Hello and welcome to this second podcast in the Future of Work, the Hybrid Working series. Today we are exploring this through a tax and incentives lens and I'm joined by Michael Carter, head of our UK incentives team. A very warm welcome, Michael. Thank you very much, Olivia. Nice to be here. So, Michael, jumping straight in, uh, tax issues seem to have fast-tracked up business agendas because of employees working remotely, um, particularly when that remote work has taken them to their destination place in the sun overseas. So, sort of linked into that, the first question I have for you is, is this honeymoon period over and has the COVID-related leeway we've seen on the tax front relating to employees working from overseas locations come to an end? Um, that's a good question and um, it's not necessarily a honeymoon. Um, there's obviously a number of tests as to whether people um, are treated as being tax resident in different jurisdictions and then whether that um, incurs obligations on the employer. But certainly what a number of countries uh, have done over the last uh, year, year and a half is uh, relaxed those some of those tests. Uh, France, for example, um, you know, uh, said that you know, days or weeks or months that they sp people spent in France due to the COVID restrictions uh, wouldn't count towards their uh, you know, the days of checking whether they were French tax resident or not. So um, that particular relaxation is probably coming to the end. But again, it's it's down for jurisdiction by jurisdiction. Yeah. Okay. And something else I keep hearing uh, a lot at the moment is the number 183 um, keeps being bandied about when talking about the number of days people seem to be able to work overseas before they're caught by local tax regimes. Um, is that right? And is that something that applies across the board? Um, it is uh, something that generally applies across the board and it's one of the tests as to whether an individual may be resident in that jurisdiction. So you can certainly say if a person has been uh, in, let's say, Barbados for 187 uh, days uh, in their tax year, um, then it's quite likely that they've become uh, tax resident in that country. But there are other 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 um, tests that might mean the person becomes resident you know, pretty quickly. For example, if they bought a a property in that jurisdiction straight away or made other uh, you know, firm plans to convert that um, place as their principal uh, place of residence. So again, it's it's, it's one of those things of, 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 of checking. But if someone's just popping over for a couple of weeks to spend in the sun in Spain and doing a bit of work while they're there, then it's highly unlikely they will be tax resident in Spain. Okay, so is it right to say it's fairly fact specific and you have to look at the circumstances in each case? Absolutely, yes. And if um, employers are required to operate payrolls and pay tax outside the UK where local tax re regimes apply, how do they actually go about doing this in practice? Um, what uh, most companies will do in this type of scenario, so they, you know, they haven't specifically gone and planned to have a uh, a, a, a residence or a, a presence in that country um, and so they won't have to be setting up payroll themselves. They'll probably use a payroll provider or company that can help them um, operate payroll in that jurisdiction and they will, that uh, provider will pay, pay the taxes for, uh, for, for the company. 
Um, so using a using a payroll provider in that local jurisdiction is typically the uh, the way to go. Okay, thanks. And if um, somebody's resident overseas and their local tax regime applies, is it as sort of cut and dry as that means the UK tax regime do, is no longer relevant, or can somebody fall under both? Uh, unfortunately, someone can fall under under both, and that it's um, potentially uh, quite and often quite likely that someone may be a tax resident in two different jurisdictions. Now. Okay. Usually, if someone's spending just all of their time working in one jurisdiction, then typically it'll be that jurisdiction that will uh, you you'll need to operate payroll for. But if the person's coming backwards and forwards, and this applies whether it's hybrid working or not, then potentially the um, both countries will have um, payroll obligations. And certainly in the UK, you'd need to agree with HMRC an appropriate apportionment of their salary to um, pay through PAYE in the UK and then the other portion is paid via you know, Spanish payroll. Yeah okay so it, it's not that straightforward it sounds like. No no. And on top of all of that are are there any registration requirements uh, in uh, respect of overseas employees? Um, quite possibly yes and again that's uh, fact specific and will depend on uh, different jurisdictions and the length of time someone is in that jurisdiction is before they need to, to register with the local tax authorities. But again, you know, in, in practical purposes, if they're just going over for a couple of, of, of weeks while being on holiday and doing some work while they're there, then uh, in most cases, that's not going to require a registration. Okay. And another sort of phrase that we keep hearing mention of at the moment are is uh, permanent establishment and the risks of creating permanent establishment where you've got people uh, based and working overseas. So are we talking there, for example, where you might have your your, your CEO who's um, working from abroad, making key decisions overseas, um, infrastructures developed around him or her. Is is that the sort of scenario we're talking about here, or or, or am I off track there? No, um, that's that is is true. It's it it will be typically just senior individuals. What the what the key is 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 to whether principally the individual uh, is is able to sign contracts. Um, on the company's behalf. Uh, now, what a lot of uh, companies do if they do send people overseas is ensure that um, that that person doesn't have that authority. So it still needs to come back to the UK for the UK board or UK other people to sign off uh, contracts uh, for the individual. But it's that kind of um, thing, um, you know. In, uh, and what do we mean by permanent establishment? establishment. Here we're not talking about payroll, we're talking about a cor corporate uh, permanent establishment where the employer potentially uh, creates inadvertently uh, a, a permanent establishment PE in that other jurisdiction and then it then needs to apportion some of its profits to that PE and pay Spanish, let's use the example, Spanish corporate uh, tax. Um, in relation to the activities being generated out of Spain. Uh, and that's why you don't want to inadvertently trip up on that. Uh, it's perfectly fine yep. if you've planned to do this and that's what you want to do, but um, essentially try and, uh, well, take advice. It is again a 
very fact specific, but um, principally, if it's senior people going abroad, be very uh, careful. Yeah, understood. And setting up an arrangement where you mentioned having, say, the board in the UK uh, sign off on contracts, would that not be seen as an artificial construct? No, no, that's quite, quite, quite common. Um, and just it's you know, it's one of those planning um, things to do to ensure that, um, that, that, that if, if checked on by the continue to use Spain, Spanish authorities it would see that you didn't uh, satisfy uh, any of the provisions for creating a permanent establishment. But it is important to go that it's, that's not the only one. There are others. So you know, just yeah. if it's seniorish people, people who uh, are holding themselves out as representing the company, the employer, then those are the, those are the cases where you need to be be careful. If it's a, uh, I don't want to be um, seniorist around this, but if, for example, it's a PA that's going uh, and working in Spain, then it's highly unlikely that he or she is going to create uh, a PE in Spain. Yeah. Okay. And final question, but it's a two-parter. Um, so part one, um, if uh, any businesses listening in are wanting to really try and sell the idea of permanent rem remote working to their employees, um, what can they dangle to incentivize this? What what kind of carrot um, can they consider? Um, well, um, probably usually it's cash. Um, <laughs> Um, one would imagine, uh, and you know, example of I know uh, a number of companies have closed down a number of their offices, uh, and because they're re reducing the amount of office space they have and the number of people and employees they're requiring in the office, uh, one would imagine that that's freeing up quite a bit of um, of, of money through in the organisation, and they may want to. Uh, share that with employees, whether it's a salary, it might be an allowance, it might be an incentive if the person works uh, at home for a you know a period of time and they're still with them that they'll get a, a, a you know an additional payment in two years time, something along those lines. There aren't too many tax efficient ways, um, and in fact that's one of the things you just need to. Uh, check if people are working from home, things like and then are coming into the office. Um, that uh, travel into the office, I, I think quite a few people would naturally think, well, actually, if their home is now their working place, then um, any travel into an office like once, you know, once every two weeks uh, is tax free. That's not necessarily the case. So you, you do need to check, check those types of things. Yeah. OK. And then um, last but not least, on the uh, flip side to that question, getting people back to office locations, any incentives that can be offered there? Uh, well, I guess it's the flip, the flip side of that. I mean, I, there's clearly some of the um, thinking about how people are going to get back into the office. Um, uh, cycle to work schemes, uh, electric bikes, uh, electric charging posts uh, in, in the office car park, uh, giving employees advantage over senior people uh, if they come in in electric cars. Um, uh, uh, season tickets and particularly the flexibility that some of the train operators are offering now around what a season ticket is and you don't have to have it for you know five days a week. Um, possibly providing loans uh, for those types of season tickets might be might be encouraging and of course just the positivity of, of being in the office and potentially being able to you know socialize and have a a get together, which again, if it's um, uh, you can be up to fifty pounds uh, ahead a year to, uh, to to have a firm social. Yeah, a decent bottle of wine. 
Exactly, exactly. <laughs> Okay, Michael, thank you very much for that really useful talk around uh, the key tax considerations. There's certainly a lot to, to think about there. Um, that's it for this week. And in our next podcast, we'll turn the spotlight on immigration issues. If there are any particular topics you'd like us to cover, then do let me know more than happy to do so. Thank you everyone for tuning in and goodbye.